Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Purvis Taylor III. Uh, He has a Master's of Arts in Counseling Psychology. He is an award-winning celebrity life coach, speaker, and best-selling author of Purvis Principles, Volumes 1 and 2, and Single Man, Married Man. As a result of his own trauma, Purvis has dedicated his life to the betterment of one's mental and emotional growth. Through his honing methods, he continues to transform the lives of his extensive client roster that reaches both celebrities, executives, organizations, and most importantly, inner city youth by pinpointing their needs and goals. Moreover, he helps facilitate the process to unearthing the greatness and destiny that's inside of us all. What is most near and dear to his heart is helping men to become healthy emotionally and mentally. The passion to help men cultivate and develop their EQ or emotional intelligence inspired his creation of Sir Thrival Mode, his new book. It is designed for men and has a poignant and personal look into the heart, emotions, and mind. Purvis has bachelor's in marketing from University of Miami and his master's in clinical psychology from Columbia University. He currently resides in Brooklyn. Help me welcome Purvis Taylor III. I'm here with Purvis Taylor, who uh, is a licensed clinical uh, now, there's so many different names. Are you, are you a licensed clinical? Th- th- like what? I'm what not are you licensed. going by? I'm not. Li- I'm not licensed, but I just you know I'm a somebody who has their masters in clinical psychology, so I kind of use that as a hybrid with my coaching. I love it, and it's you know what? Yeah. Let me tell you something because I've gotten into coaching also, and the reason why I pivoted from uh, counseling to coaching is because it gives me more uh, freedom. latitude, freedom. Yeah, mm-hmm. to, to do the things that because, you know, to man, what people are dealing with today, you got to be out the box. It's just absolutely. Uh, so so what's your um, uh, modality or like what what's your what's your specificity? That's a good question. Um, I So currently I have clients from all walks of life. So I have, you know, celebrity. I have some NFL players. I have some executives and everyday people. But I would say my speciality has been in working with men of color and teaching them how to process and navigate through their emotions. Man, we we need that right now. I just cried. I just cried for like an hour yesterday with That's all awesome. this. You know, my cousin called me, man, and he's like uh, talking about like he has a gun now and just not oh, feeling wow. safe. And then uh, he has his Google alert set to black man killed. And I was oh, just like, gosh. man, the weight of it, you know. Uh, yeah. but, but 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 on the flip side, journaling helped me process my emotions. I just yes. I just sat down at my computer. I have an online journal that I use. I use a Penzu, and this is not an advertisement for them. But I just sat and just wrote out all the things I was feeling and thinking, and 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 some of it was about you know the protests, and some of it was about COVID. But it, it was just all I just you know set a time for twenty minutes and just went all in, and just and just 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 flooded the page with whatever was going on. That's excellent. You know, I recommend narrative therapy 
um, to a lot of men because, you know, sometimes men aren't comfortable with actually verbalizing. Um, but I feel like narrative therapy is verbalizing, even though it's not audible, it's still coming from within them. And that's all, you know, my, my biggest hope is to bring what's on the inside to the outside, have which way that comes about, you know, I'm not married to either which way. So if it's through journaling, if it's through, um, you know, making music, rapping, if it's through, you know, interpretive dance, whatever that is, um, I, you know, we need that to come to the outside and not, not on the inside. So, you know, the battle is always inside. So we don't want that battle to be happening. Uh, now, when you talk about narrative therapy uh, and, and journaling, can you, can you, what does that look like in terms of using dance? What does it look like using music? And, and, and can you give us examples of how somebody could incorporate that? So one young man that I worked with at a school here, a college here in, in New York City, he was struggling with forgiveness. And we had this whole, you know, we did this whole session on forgiveness and why forgiveness is important, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, you know, Purvis, would you mind if I like use music as a medium? Because I always have them do a project at the end of our sessions. And his project was he wanted to make a song. Um, and he made a song dedicated to his mom because I think his mom abandoned him when he was a child, you know, due to, her, I think, her being on drugs or whatever. And he was, you know, he had this anger against her for so long. And so he made this whole beautiful song about how he was angry at God and he asked God for forgiveness and he asked his mom for forgiveness for being so mean to her. So it was very powerful. And he had never done that before. So, Man, it, it, music heals. You know, I was just listening to Marvin yeah. Gaye yesterday and he was... Yeah, you know, uh, when I think about Marvin Gaye, I think about Let's Get It On. But he also yes. had songs he about... conscious. Uh, yeah. yeah, he was very socially conscious. And he had songs about the economy and pollution. And I was like, oh, whoa. Like, this this brother was deep, man. He, he really had a message in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, you think about, you know, Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation. You know, some artists do make Stevie Wonder. A lot of a lot of artists back in the day used to make socially conscious re- records. You know, we have Kendrick Lamar and um, J. Cole today. But, you know, definitely was much more prevalent back in the day. Yeah. What What is it about men that uh, why why is it harder for us to seek out counseling and seek help than than women? Or, or do we seek it out in different ways? Well, I, I, I definitely think that we've been I definitely think that we've been socialized into, uh, you know, the culture, you know, machismo, like, you know, suck it up, be a man, keep it moving and not realizing that um, those emotions don't die. Those things that we feel they don't die. They just transform. And for a lot of us, they've been showing up in ways that we can't manage anymore. And so now it's like a 911, especially with men of color in terms of their mental health and emotional health. Um, I think that a lot of times we don't have the tools. We've never seen it modeled. So if you had, if you did have a father, more than likely he probably didn't emote. More than likely you didn't see him process his emotions in a healthy way. Um, and and so like it's difficult to be something that you never seen before. So if if we haven't seen that modeled, what are we seeing modeled in terms of e- emotions? Like what what are we witnessing that we're carrying on that might be maladaptive for us? Suppression, you know, ignoring, acting like the emotion isn't there or the pain isn't there. You're seeing a lot of, you know, toxic masculinity, which is like, you know, been like the buzzword for the last few years. But, you know, a lot of men, you know, aggression, a lot of anger, you, you, a lot of men being sexually promiscuous, um, 
just a lot of things, just really being caught up in achievement, how much output do, you know, I make this much money, my car looks better than yours, you know, a lot of comparison, a lot of flexing. Um, but I think now the, the tide is slowly turning where you're starting to see black men become more communal and become more more vulnerable in, in, in spaces. Especially, you know, since I've been doing this for 10 years, I've definitely seen the tide turn a lot, significantly. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different men's groups. Uh, you see guys coming together, sharing more, uh, uh, you know, in, in Europe and in Africa, men hold hands, they hug, they kiss mm-hmm. on the cheek. So you, you see that slowly starting to matriculate over here to the United States. And, and you're right. It's like, because uh, I grew up suppressing my emotions also. And you can only suppress something for so long before it right. it pops up as uh, promiscuity or it pops up mm-hmm. as aggression or overachievement. I see that not just in myself, but in my and my other friends. For 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 people out there who aren't seeing it modeled, how could they, if they're if they're still young and moldable, how do we get that if we're not getting it at home? Well, you know, the one thing that I, I, I talk about in my in my personal narrative, I was, you know, molested as a child. I was bullied and I dealt with low self-esteem and I dealt with worse and I dealt with emasculation, being emasculated, you know, by by you know, girls that I went to school with and, and guys. And and my father necessarily, you know, is a great man, but he wasn't the most emotionally intelligent man. And so one of the things that I had to do was I had to live in my imagination. I had to envision the person that I wanted to be. Otherwise I wouldn't have made it. I had to clearly see that there was going to be another side to this. So, you know, there's a, uh, a guy by the name of Victor Frankel who is, uh, he created what is known as logotherapy and he developed that while he was in a concentration camp as a Jewish man. So seeing people die around him, seeing all this, you know, death around him. And he, he, he posed this thought that if you can see yourself, see your way out of a situation, you will make your, you will make your way out of that situation. And so for me, I had to engage in my imagination like never before. I had to envision the life that I wanted to create. And that's, that was the beginning for me. And so I encourage men, young men of all ages to dream, to not let what's happening around you stop you from dreaming because you are still possible. You are, you are your ancestors, you know, greatest reward. So you have you have everything within you to be that person that you want to be. I'm just here to highlight that for me, for you. You know, I always tell young men that no one is born ill-equipped. They're just born ill-informed. And so everybody has the tools that they need to make it to make their life dynamic and great. And, and so that's my job is to highlight that for them. Now, is there do you have a process for helping people discover the tools that they have? Um, I necessarily don't, you know, people are, aren't monolithic. Um, but you know, if somebody I can, it's, it's, it, you know, I, and you know, this as a coach, you know, we have to really engage in our intuition a lot. So I engage in intuition a lot when I'm talking to somebody, I was like, oh, they struggle with shame or they struggle with, um, their masculinity or they struggle with identity. They struggle with, you know, it's just something that comes up for me. And I just tend to hone into that space and really correct that damage that's been done because of that belief um, that I guess that would be the process is finding out what it is that they're believing the, the, the hidden belief and dismantle that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's shame is a, a thing that comes up, I think for a lot of people, uh, shame, yeah. guilt, especially as I feel like for black men specifically, but 
but people in general who have made it out of a situation, I, I know for myself, you know, I grew up in like a, a middle class, maybe a little lower middle class. We grew up in a Section 8 building. And then, you know, mm-hmm. going to college, getting my master's. So, you know, and by all means, I made it out. However, there's a guilt of, man, I, I left some people behind, or why did I make it out? And why didn't my other mm-hmm. boys make it out? And so there's that guilt that you, you carry around. And then there's a shame about who you are and that imposter syndrome of, I made it out. Yes. Will they find out that I grew up in a Section 8 with roaches? You know, yeah. that whole thing. Can you talk to us about how you help people deal with shame? Well, the first thing is that, you know, shame isn't, it, it tries to disguise itself as an identity. So saying that you're an imposter, like that, that thing, right? It's, 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 it's tied to identity. So the first thing I do is like, you know, shame is, shame isn't your identity. You have to break apart what the thing is. So for instance, so for me, the shame I had was being molested or being bullied. But the reason why I had shame was because I took it on as an identity. I didn't understand that that was something that happened to me. That's something that I experienced, but it's not who I am. So it's about really breaking down, distinguishing between who you are and what happened to you, because those are two separate things. And a lot of times people equate the two. And and my job is, again, to dismantle that that narrative that you're telling yourself that that's who you are. No, that's something that you've experienced. And then I'll unpack it even further. Why do you feel shame for leaving the projects? Why do you feel shame for uh, choosing better for you? You know what I mean? So it's really about unpacking that even further. Wow. Yeah. You know, I think for me, it was, uh, I, I attribute part of it to luck. And I, and I read somewhere that, you know, people who struggle with depression and mental health issues attribute a lot of their success to luck and then their failures to their character. And I realized that on myself and that if I, if I, you know, make it, if I move 10 steps forward, I'm like, wow, I really got lucky. If I fall five steps back, I'm like, oh, well, of course I deserve that. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so to, 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 to try to be more aware of catching those thoughts and, and, and those moments of, of what I'm attributing my success to. And, and, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, for, for all of my clients, not even just men that I work with, all of my clients, I, you know, you have to build your life on a positive foundation because, you know, the brain is wired for negativity, neuroscience-wise, That's which is why you can, it's easier for you to recall a negative memory, memory quicker than a positive one because the brain is conditioned to hold on to negative things. And so you have to ingrain, that's why they call it positive reinforcement. You have to ingrain in your mind, your subconscious, something positive about you. So when things happen, like your default isn't, oh, I deserve that. Your default is I'm still amazing, regardless. You know what I mean? And so it's like literally reprogramming the way you think about yourself. I, I mean, it has self, that's why that self-talk is so important. I, I've been so big Absolutely. on that. And, and uh, do you do self-talk? Oh, yeah. I uh, lost you. Hello. Of, um, you know, like famous people or people who have money who can't name five positive. Hey, things uh, Purvis, my, my bad, man. I, the sound cut out for like two seconds. If you, I'm going to ask you the question again and then uh, we'll go back into it. Uh, I do self-talk. Do you do self-talk? And what does that sound like? 
Hello? You know what's interesting is in working with... Hello? 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 Can you hear me? Hello? I heard something go out. Yeah, can you hear me? Oh, yeah, the the internet connections got got real spotty. Uh, All right, I'm going to ask you the question. No, it's all good. Uh, Because we're still recording. (laughs) I'm going to ask you the question again, and then we'll just take it from there. Uh, So I do self-talk, and uh, and I'm sure that you do self-talk also. How do you use it, and what does it sound like? Um, Self-talk for me is like naming, telling myself every day five things that I think are amazing about me. And and I say it to myself in the mirror, and I give myself a hug. And it's so necessary because – my voice is always going to be the loudest out of everyone else's. And I, at the end of the day, I have to be on my team. A lot of times we don't recognize that, that we are against ourselves. And, you know, they say a house divided will fall. So how can I be divided within myself? I have to be on my own team. And I do the same thing with clients. And, and you know, honest, to be honest with you, you'd be amazed at how many celebrities or even people with a lot of money who can't name five things that they find amazing about themselves. So self-talk is so important. And when when you talk about your childhood, just to go back into that a little bit, uh, I'm sure you struggled with uh, depression. And mm-hmm. uh, were were there any thoughts of suicide that came along? Absolutely. And how did you? Can you walk us through uh, what your envisioning looked like and 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 visualizing yourself out of it? And then what other other uh, coping skills you use to move your way through? Uh, well, you know, when it, I remember one night specifically, I was like, yo, I'm just going to end my life. I'm going to take these pills. And I remember praying to God and I was just like, you know, Lord, please show me something. Give me a sign, something that, um, that I'm going to make it, that I'm going to be okay. And I ended up getting a scholarship to university of Miami. It literally came like that day or the next day, something Something, it was very close. It's very, very close proximity. And to me, I took that as a sign, like, okay, so there's a there's a future for you. There's a future for you. But, you know, I think, again, the journaling, because I used to journal a lot when I was, when I was uh, you know, when I was much younger, and really just the envisioning, like, I, you know, that night where I thought I was going to take all those pills, something interrupted me and said, hold on. There's something inside of me that said, hold on, not now, not now. And I just kind of trusted that voice. And I remember just thinking, like, if I can make it through that night, you know, in Buddhism, they call it the dark night of the soul. And I've had I've had several dark nights of the soul where you think that you're not going to be able to make it through. But I made it through that night. And when I made it through that first that first time, the dark night of the soul, I said, OK, there's a future for me. And things started to get a little bit better for me after that. Did you uh, ever go to therapy or I was see there anything a else around? regularly now? Mm. I see a therapist regularly now, but at the time I didn't know that therapy was a thing. You know, I'm, I'm from the South. I'm a black man from the South. What is therapy? <laughs> you know, so I didn't even know the importance of the necessity of therapy at that time. You know, I, I, I want to go into, because I, I realized that it's so easy to, uh, to say, do this, don't do that. And mm-hmm. I always believe that there's a place for everything. And I want to backtrack a little bit into, in terms of suppressing emotions. When is it healthy 
and and beneficial to suppress your emotions because uh, because uh, it, it, we developed that for a reason what, what what's the space for that and, and or how does it serve us well did you see the uh, the michael jordan documentary on ESPN? man not yet not yet i want to okay. watch it so his father died and it was father's day weekend his father had died that year and his father's day weekend and they were playing the championship and obviously it was very rough for him because his father just died and his father wasn't there, um, you know, for the playoffs like he always was previously. And he made it through that game. He won. And when he when he went to the locker room, he literally broke down crying, heaving out of control. And he just kept clutching the ball. He was literally like a baby in a fetal position. And I would say in that moment, that delayed gratification served him because he was able to achieve the thing that he wanted, but he still got the release that his body needed. And so I would say in certain situations, you know, you have to put on your game face, but still honor that emotion when, when it's done. It's been plenty of times I've given speeches, I've had to teach, I've had to give lectures, and I was in pain. And I had to, I had to hold off that emotion until afterwards. And when I got home, I cried. Mm. You know, you talk about being in pain and, uh, cause how old are you now? 39. 39. So uh, as, as much as you've worked through it, I, I know there's still uh, residue, uh, from yes. your history. Uh, how, how has that affected, are you in a relationship now? No, I'm not. So many people trying to get me married, though, but I'm not in a relationship now. <laughs> oh, yeah, especially out there in uh, Brooklyn and New York, for sure. Uh, yeah. how, how has it affected uh, how you show up to relationships? I would imagine trust is a major issue. Trust and um, vulnerability. Because, you know, everybody's not me. Like, people have told me the craziest things. Like, I've had... You know, I've had adult entertainers as, as clients. I've had people say that they, you know, they ventured into incest when they were younger and, and had no judgment for them. And so I recognize that everybody's not me. And so I have a fear of not being received fully in relationships. Well, okay, can you uh, not being received? I completely understand that. Um, the because we have a range of emotions. And like you said, as men, uh, we, we are expected, or really, at least there's a feeling uh, that we should show up a certain way, uh, financially, physically. And, yes. and I just, I was at lunch the, uh, like a couple weeks ago and, uh, and, and uh, what a, uh, uh, my, a, my girlfriend's friend or uh, acquaintance, mm-hmm. I should say. Mm-hmm. And, she was like, I don't understand why black men are crying. She, she's Russian. And wow, that floored me because the, the basis of a relationship is to show up a, a hundred percent and to be truthful. And, and being truthful doesn't mean just telling you about everything I did today or, or who that phone call is from. Being truthful is also being truthful about how I feel in this very moment. And sometimes I feel like crying or I feel scared. And if I feel mm-hmm. like I can't express that to you, 
then uh, then you're not you're not prepared for all of me. The, the you just want the serious me or the provider me or the protector me and not the not the vulnerable me and the scared me and the or the goofy me. You know, so I can mm-hmm. I get that. I completely understand. And that's the problem is that, you know, the world doesn't embrace black men as humans. And the thing is, we are we black men rarely get to be our full selves. And 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 we've even done it to ourselves. We've we've we siphoned off a part of who we are to survive in this world. And and that's the thing is like I'm a black man. I'm very verbal, you know, which is kind of uncommon. You know, I you know, I like R&B music. I like to dance. I like you know, what I mean, like I'm not. I guess the typical what people typify as a black man, but I honor my whole human experience. And if I can't be with somebody who can't embrace me as a human, as a full human being, I don't necessarily want to be with them. Man, I, I completely understand. That's, that's so tough. Uh, but I'm excited. You wrote a book called The Survival Mode. Uh, or thrival. Sir, sir thrival sir thrival you know yes, what's sir. funny i read it a million times <laughs> and you know how your brain just fills in the gaps that's yes. exactly what happened uh the survival uh sir thrival mode and uh it's basically the four a's of sir thrival can you can you yes. go through those with us uh talk about the first a which is acknowledgement um so i always say that you know alcoholics anonymous is the most successful recovery program in history because they engage in the principle of always acknowledging that a problem exists. So every time you go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, is my name is Purvis, blah, 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 and I am an alcoholic. So there is there's power and profundity in acknowledgement of a thing. And I think for a lot of us, we don't acknowledge, especially men, we don't acknowledge that we have an issue or that there's some pain going on. So that's the first step, you know, acknowledging that that something is not working. Then the next step after that is acceptance, which is really, really hard because acceptance almost feels like, like we can, we're conceding or, or we're agreeing with what happened. And no, it's not that it's just saying that it did happen. It's just embracing the fact that something happened, whether we liked it or not. So for me being molested, I didn't agree with it, but it's something that happened. And now I have to accept that and be responsible for how my life proceeds afterwards right and that's the hard part is like you know even though i was victimized i get to choose do i want to remain a victim or do i want to be a victor so that's the acceptance part right just accepting that something happened then going to articulation where you start to articulate what has happened you know what how this has affected your life because in therapy and you know this as a coach your healing is in your words also your actions, but healing is also in your words. Words are powerful words of spirits. And especially for men of color, you know, on average, women speak 30,000 words a day. And on average, men speak 10,000 words a day. So there's a 20,000 word gap in processing. And the reason why women are able to heal quicker is because they are in tune with the power of articulation, sharing, um, being able to contextualize their experiences. And that's also the thing too about articulation, being able to expand your emotional lexicon, being able to really, really state like, you know, what is happening? What, what, what's the framework? What's this world like for you? And, and I encourage me to be so descriptive as possible, like to use sensory language, to use descriptive language, because that further uh, can bring healing to the situation. Can you give us and an lastly, example of the, the sensory descriptive language? So for instance, like 
you know how you can say you can say like babe i had a bad day right that that suffices right in your mind i had a bad day sister language is babe i feel like i got hit by a mac truck that's sensory because that's like this feeling of getting hit and being overtaken by something. That simple thing changes the conversation, the context of the conversation from I had a bad day to maybe I just feel like I got hit by a Mack truck. I feel like the world is my world is caving in. You know, that's, again, things that you can relate to Yo, sensory wise I, that you know what? That makes sense because uh, I me and my girl were just having a conversation and. I thought I was communicating how I felt about certain things. And it, yeah, I was like, uh, I feel I feel a little uneasy. Uh, I felt a little uncomfortable, unsettled. But mm-hmm. to, to say I felt like I was, a, a, like it was Pearl Harbor, like I was attacked from all angles, you know, like I didn't even see it coming. Like it was, I felt like a SWAT team kicked in the door, you know, while I was sleeping. Yeah. Like that kind of visceral to visceral. It, yeah and as you as you start to talk about it more you you, you start to feel it in your blood and you, you start to connect with it uh versus mm-hmm. uh and and i think that and, and i'm glad you brought this up because i because i'm realizing that typically when i think about expressing emotions is like oh i feel sad i feel hurt but like to be like mm-hmm. wow i felt like uh i felt like i was just sitting on the steps waiting for my father to come home you know what i'm saying Ooh. and just Ooh. you know, just something like that. yeah, and right. I felt that just now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like that 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 whole thing, and and to to paint the picture of 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 really what's going on, and I think that we have gotten caught up in the the stats and the in the in the in the specificities rather than the the imagery and the 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 the, uh, the sensory. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like what does it feel like versus what it actually is and what you does know? it taste like yeah you know, what does it smell like and that's the thing that's what made martin luther king jr's great orator is because he was so excellent in sensory language if you look at his i have a dream speech it's full of sensory language and that's the thing that it builds further connection between you and your spouse and you and your therapist or whoever it is that you are talking to at the time it builds a, fir- a, a greater connection a deeper connection it, man when i so to, to to piggyback on that, I real two things. One, I realize that's why Oprah is such a great interviewer mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she is she knows how to emotionally charge her questions and paint a visceral picture. So so that whether you are an intellectual or or, or not, you get it. Like she she's she's giving mm-hmm. you both the the Nobukov and the Dr. Seuss version of mm-hmm. what's happening, right? At the same time. At the same time. And then she, um, and then, uh, what was it? Oh, so like when me and my girl, uh, we, we have some discourse or, but, or anybody, um, and right. st- I used to just be like, oh, that hurt or whatever. Now I say, you know what? That just puts some space between us and mm. people get that like, whoa. Mm. And, then, and then they go like, oh, okay. Like how much space? And then, and you know, you can articulate that. So that's another way that I found I'm more comfortable saying that with, Versus like, ah, I feel a little hurt. Like, like, you know, that, that doesn't make me feel strong, but to say, yo, that puts space between us. Like immediately people get that and, uh, you could, you could see them like, whoa. And then. Because they connected that so fast because hurt could be, you could just be overly sensitive in their mind. 
But right. when you give them that sensory, when you give them that descriptor, they're like, oh, gosh, they can actually see it. You can see the space and saying that that created a space between us. You can actually see that. Right. Especially now with the COVID, you know, everybody's aware mm-hmm. of six. <laughs> mm-hmm. Man, listen. <laughs> so so what's this last A? Uh, uh, so, the, the alchemy. Alchemy. Yeah, alchemy is, you know, alchemy at, at the at its basic core is turning lead into gold. And so what I propose is how do you turn the lead in your life into gold? How did I turn, you know, being molested, father dying of a heroin overdose, being homeless? How did I turn all these things into now? You know, I was a person who was emasculated that I empower men in their masculinity all the time. How did I do that? And and that's the thing is we all have the transformative powers to do that. We all have the power to transform our narrative into something greater than what it was. Uh, what, and so how do we break that down? Is it is it through journaling? How do we retell that? How do we change that, that storyline for us? Well, I definitely think the biggest thing is about letting go of shame. You know, we talked about that earlier and also, you know, understanding the power of, yo, I made it through this as opposed to, I was victimized by this. Yo, I made it through this. I'm thriving even in spite of, I'm not a survivor. I'm a thriver. I'm a survivor, you know, um, really just flipping and rebranding our relationships with certain things in our lives. Like, so for me, it's not, Oh, wow. Purvis was molested. It was like, wow. Purvis is thriving even in spite of being molested. You get what I'm saying? So it's like it's about redirecting. So how are you uh, uh, peeling back the layers so that what's your practice for showing up more fully in a relationship? How are you? What's your blueprint for for working through that? Um, Showing up in a relationship, I always, for me personally, I show up as myself always. And I do that purposely because I don't want to have a representative. I don't want you to fall in love with Purvis, the life coach. I don't want you to fall in love with Purvis, the guy who can charm the pants off of you. I want you to love Purvis who he is because Purvis is very complex as a human being. And I hate that I just spoke of myself in third person. I apologize for that. <laughs> but, no, no, I do it all the time, brother. It makes me yeah, feel yeah. good. It feeds the ego a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, it's just like I, I – I, I tend to lay all of my stuff out there as fast as I can because you need to know this. I'd rather you find out about it now than, you know, it's always better to tell than to be found out. Absolutely. You know, so, you know what I mean? So, you know, she has to be really mature, um, you know, because I've been through a lot and I've experienced a lot. And I'm so much more than just the person that people see on TV or writes books or speaks and, you know, all those things like that. It's so much more. When you thought about uh, uh, ending your life, what was the what was the prevailing thought uh, that that what was the through line? What was the voice um, that made me want to? Yeah. I just kept, I just felt so rejected because I always, I always never, I never was masculine enough. I, I was never the, the, my friends, I was never them. I was, you know, I honestly, I took people laugh me all the time. I was like, yo, women, really women didn't start liking me until I turned 30. I swear to God. I mean, I've had girlfriends before then, but like, where it was like, yo, this dude is fine. That didn't happen till 30. And so I always was underdeveloped. I was always small. If you saw me in, in, in college at University of Miami, of all places, 
I was underdeveloped. And here I am at this school full of like, you know, built football players, well-developed women. And, and I'm like this scrawny thing. So I always never felt like I always felt like I didn't belong or I was like a manufacturer's defect, you know? So it was just like, I just felt rejected. I would like a girl and she would just play me, you know? And it, and it was more than, you know, rejection is the pop most powerful thing ever. Um, and I guess just feeling rejected and not fitting in. That was like the thing is like, I, you know, like God made a mistake in creating me. That's what it felt like. And, and so th- there's the inner work of self-talk and saying that you're enough and that you have mm-hmm. the tools and that, you, you know, mm-hmm. you're not a, a rejection. What was some of the out, what was some of the, the outer, outer work stuff that you've done? And, and the reason why I bring this up is I like, I'm, I'm quarantined here in San Diego right now. And I, but I live uh-huh. in LA, and so I'm in a, I'm in a different place, new people, new neighborhood, and so I, I feel disconnected. I feel uh, isolated because I don't I don't really know anybody. I don't have a group of people, and so what I've mm-hmm. been doing, there's the inner work of you know the journaling, the meditation, but the outer work that I've started to do is eat my breakfast and sometimes my dinner on uh, the stairs in front of my house. And so because people are walking by and and so it's a way for me to just visibly introduce myself. And for the first couple of weeks, people walk by, nobody said anything. And then literally just today, four people waved and said hello. And and these are people who had just been walking by. So I felt seen. I felt heard. I felt heard. I felt uh, a bit more connected. And I was like, oh, okay. So now it makes me want to sit out there even more, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I wonder if like, so my question is to you is like, you know, you felt disconnected. You're looking at, you're comparing yourself to the jocks and what everybody else has. What were mm-hmm. the actionable steps that you took when you, to, to build your, your power and to be seen, heard and understood? You know, it's funny. Cause I often think about that for me. I was like, purpose, what, what changed? And one of the things is that I, I've always been a good dancer. So that was the one thing I always had going for me. I could dance. Like I could do a Michael Jackson, Jenny Jackson choreographed routine like that. So I, I found that one piece that I liked about myself. Um, I always looked younger than everybody else. So everybody who I went to school with, they're, you know, they're turning 40. I turn 40 next month. I don't look like I'm 40. They look like they're 40. So I started to find, like, embrace the little things like, you know, purpose, you still look youthful. Um, and you have a, you know, this girl, I'll never forget this. This is the this was a turning point. I remember now. I was in college and I'll never forget. I was doing a group project, and this girl said to me, She said, Purpose, you have a beautiful smile. And for the longest, I was afraid to smile because you know, black men in particular, we don't smile in pictures. We make that, we make right, a mean right, mug right, face. Right. <laughs> and so um my smile, I started smiling from that day forth, and that's become my signature thing, is smiling. And so, like, you know, even even in the streets of Brooklyn, the mean streets of New York, you know, rough streets, I smile all the time. Um, to your point, what you said, you went outside to go eat on the stairs. I've been going to the park to work out. And, you know, I've been making small talk with people, like just feeling that connection of, again. Um, but I, I'm, I more understood my power. If that makes sense, if that makes sense, like not necessarily confidence, but power, because confidence is like usually contingent upon a thing and power is regardless. So 
I found that I have power. So whether that, you know, whatever that power is used for, I know that I have it. Um, and, and so slowly over time, I started to embrace these things about myself that I like. You know, I like that, you know, I have a great patch in my hair. I like that, um, you know, I like my smile. I like my walk. I like, I like how I make people feel. You know, so I just, I just slowly started piecing together things about myself that I liked. And that just kind of helped me to kind of fortify myself. Man, that's, a, you know, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, I struggle with the love handles, right? Uh, Bro, me like, too. Man, like my arms stay, stay thin, the legs always uh, right, but right that, that I get just, I eat a half a donut and bam, it just explodes around the, the midwaist. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so when I look in the mirror, I notice that I, I'm always looking at that one area. And, yeah. and then, um, but my whole life I've been told I have beautiful eyes, amazing complexion, great hands, like all these other me things too. that people have complimented me on that I'm completely walking right by, right? That, that's yeah. what it, like I'm walking all right by all the good things and I'm going right to this one area. And I'm like, what, but what's going on with this, you know? And, yeah. and so now when I brush my teeth, I've been focusing on looking myself in the eye. Man, it's so hard. I didn't realize yeah. how hard looking yourself in the eye is. My God. Yeah. That's why women, you see those, those not women, just people in general, when you see those makeover shows, they start crying because they've never seen themselves before. Wow. You know, like they disconnected from themselves so many years prior, and now they're getting reacquainted with who they are. And, you know, that's, that's, that can be shocking. It can be overwhelming when you haven't really had to deal with you for a long time. You know, uh, when we talk about mental health, it, it, it's like you said, so much of it starts in our youth. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, my sister and, and a lot of, there's a lot of women out there who are raising men, who are raising young boys to be men. And mm-hmm. how do they, what, do you have any advice for the mothers, the single moms out there who are raising boys of, of how to teach them mental health or what, like, what should they say versus what they don't say? What, what's been the experiences? I would say for young men, ask open-ended questions. Um, and I also would add, you know, give them time to process. So, like, when you want to talk about something, let them know what you want to talk about and ask them when they would like to talk about it to give them time to process because men don't process the same way as women do. Um, that's proven. And, you know, those simple things can, like, make a difference. Don't demand an answer in that moment yeah. because a man can, you know, women can speak past, present and future in one conversation. And we just stuck off one thing that they said, not hearing anything else that they said. It's not, it's not shade. It's just, that's what we heard. You know what I mean? Like we just got stuck on that one thing. And so like being able to, to give us time to process, ask open ended questions, um, understand that, you know, male centric emotions are different than yours. And that they take a while for them to to manifest and be processed through. Can you give us uh, can you give us like two examples of of an open ended question that uh, you know the son, the son is upset he's angry about something uh, at school but you don't know what it is and, and so what are some examples of open ended questions that parents can ask? Um, so for I can take this from uh, one of my couple's clients. She asked him. 
um, why did you know why did you not pick that rug? So they were having this argument over a rug. Why did you pick that rug? As opposed to she could have said, help me to understand like what, what you you know what you were thinking. Um, help me to understand what you were thinking. That's open ended. Instead of saying, why did you do that? You know, that's specific. Help me to understand what what's going on in your world um, in picking that rug. That that offers up a bigger conversation and that gives him space to really articulate himself. As opposed to just, why'd you pick that? Oh, are you being cheap? You know what I mean? Just asking opening the question. So that's one. Um, the son, were you, what's the example you gave me? The son is upset. Uh, he's upset Um, you know bullying is such a a huge thing and I feel like a lot of parents um, don't aren't equipped to talk to their kids about being bullied and and a lot of kids don't really open up about it and it's so like if you're a parent you suspect that something is is wrong um, how do you get them to open up in a way that they're not defensive um I definitely, I, I, I tell parents, you know, like you got to do it in stages and phases, you know, like more importantly, allowing them to know that you're there. And I often tell parents, you know, we got to stop pretending like as parents that we had it all together or that we're perfect because that can kind of be the way it comes off the kids. Like they can't relate. And I always say transparent leaders create environments for sharing. So I always encourage the parents to be transparent about some things in their life, and that'll create an environment where the kids will want to share. So you exhibit the vulnerability first, then they'll soon, they'll model it. And so what you want from them, you have to be that. So I guess to answer that question specifically, I would say, you know, being transparent. Like my my sister with my nephew, he shares with her because my sister is very vulnerable with him. He's he's seven, but he understands, he understands enough uh, when my sister is explaining to him, like, yo, your father's not in your life. And, you know, yes, it hurts. I would like for us, you know, I would have liked for you to have a father. And I apologize. And her doing that often, he's not afraid to come to her with things. Yeah, I I, I could I completely understand that. I think I kind of grew up where my mom uh, overshared too much about <laughs> what was going on. What, what's the Ooh. can you can you give us the because uh, I could tell you relate. Can you give us the the difference between uh, sharing and oversharing? Like my mom was like, "Yeah, we the, the bills are due on uh, the thirty first, and uh, you know we two paycheck. Like I don't need to know. I'm I'm nine years old. Wait, no, 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 no. Yeah, you don't need to know that. I don't need to you know that. Just, <laughs> you don't need to. You don't need to know that specifically. But you can say, hey, you know, we've encountered some rough times. Uh, where you know we're trying to we're trying to work through this. Um, you know, things may things may be a little tight." coming up you know things may be happening it, it that you know it's still it's still being transparent but it's not oversharing i love that perfect and then you know you, you talked about um time to process this is this is uh i, I want to really highlight this area because uh it, it, we, we know we're talking about men take longer but in in general, there's some women. I mean, you know, people. Some people take longer to process because, first Absolutely. of all, on a physiological level, our limbic system is is uh, much more developed than our 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 prefrontal cortex, which is the yes. thinking part, right? 
can yes. you talk about that and, and 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 tell people why it takes longer? Well, also, you know, because really people don't become adults until they're like 30 because the, the frontal lobe isn't fully developed till around that time, 29, 30. Um, and then also, too, you know, we didn't learn how to engage in uh, delayed gratification. So, you know, sometimes you just want to cut somebody out and you didn't learn. You, you didn't learn like, oh, I don't need to cuss them out. Let me just choose a different way of doing that. You know, I think that reasoning and things like that doesn't really come into play for a while. And especially, you know, what I think with a lot of men uh, in terms of like just delayed in, in, in processing, a lot of times we never had the opportunity to actually process something. No one has ever given us the space to do so. And so this is a new frontier for us, for a lot of men, being able to say like, OK, I want to talk to you about this. Can we talk about this in a week? That's scary for a lot of men because they've never had to do it before, you know. So it's like it's 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 like treading on new territory, but it's it's a thing that I I know for a fact that it's helped a lot of relationships that I've coached. A lot of marriages have been restored because the woman wasn't understanding that her husband needs time to process and that this is new for him, and she had to be patient with him. And um, so yeah, I mean definitely. We definitely need time to process. I even as educated as I am and as advanced air quotation marks as I am, I still need time to process. Yeah, and I think that what happens is it comes off as we don't care because we're not yeah. emotionally, you know, uh, expressive. Well, and I also think that you got to also understand that men, by by and large, are comfortable in in two emotions: anger and indifference, right? And really beneath the anger is hurt and beneath the hurt is disappointment and beneath the disappointment is an expectation that wasn't met. So a lot of times men don't even know that they don't even know that they're upset because the expectation wasn't met in their life. And so you have to think when you've never really been emotionally mature, you're still that same age emotionally. So if you've never matured emotionally as an adult, you're still a child in the area of your life. You understand? So like if you don't, if you, if something happened to you traumatic when you were five years old, you still think about that and a lot of things from the perspective of a five-year-old. All right. Okay. So, All right. Be- so, so I, I, not to cut, let's, I, I, yeah. I want to get specific. <laughs> My brain is going in, in 10 different directions right now. Can, yeah. All right. First of all, uh, can you break down that, the, that emotional hierarchy again? You said anger and then what? Oh, yeah. So anger is the secondary emotion. It's not the primary primary emotion when we're angry. The the primary emotion that we're experiencing is hurt. Okay. And then underneath the hurt is disappointment. And underneath the disappointment is an expectation that wasn't met. Okay. So can you apply that to the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement right now? The anger that black men are feeling and click through what we're angry about, what we're hurt about, the disappointment. I, I'm putting you on the spot, but I, yeah, I yeah. just, if, if we can uh, click through each one and, and, and how that shows up and, and link that. Well, the anger, well, the anger is for the obvious. It's like, you know, the anger is, is like, y'all been doing this for so long. Now we pissed off about it. Like we've been pissed off, but now we're really pissed off. And the hurt comes from is that 
you would think after all these years that this stuff would not continue to be happening. And the disappointment is, is like looking at this country. Like I thought we would have evolved. Um, we would have evolved by now. We would have, you know, we, Dr. King and all these people, they had these movements, these marches and slavery was abolished. And the expectation was is that we had an expectation that you want to treat us as equals. We had an expectation that, that um, we would be respected as human beings. Wow. All right. So I'd be remiss because, uh, and I'm going to put you on the spot for one more. Uh, Go ahead. That brother. Cause that was, that was wonderfully said. Because there's married couples out there, and, and, and infidelity is huge and is, is breaking up a lot of people. But I don't even want to talk about inf- infidelity. Betrayal, mm-hmm. I feel like, is is the really the bigger thing. Is the root of is the root of, of infidelity. Yeah. And so someone gets angry when they feel betrayed. So can you click through? We could use infidelity as the betrayal, uh, the the emotions for. Uh, uh, for somebody who has experienced uh, uh, infidelity, well, betrayal is like it's betrayal is like a gaping wound, right? It's like a blow to the stomach, um, and I think underneath all of that, the disappointment is the 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 anger is that I obviously that I I'm angry that I'm in a situation where I've been cheated on, right? And then I'm hurt that this person that I love would do this to me, right? And then the disappointment is. I thought the disappointment is that I thought that our marriage was enough or that I was enough. I, I didn't, I'm disappointed in who you are as a person. I'm disappointed because I had a, I, I had an expectation that you would honor this relationship. And then what was the, uh, the unmet, the, oh yeah, the expectations that you would honor this relationship. Wow, yeah. man, that, that is, is, whoo, um, and then I was thinking about when we talk about I was that example that I gave earlier about the woman who was angry or uh, had brought up like why are black men crying and uh, mm-hmm. they thought they were strong. I realized on the other side of her anger uh, is like fear or an un- unmet expectation. Um, and I, I, what 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 and also is to it? What her relationship is, and also to what her relationship is. With, with what she thinks being strong is. You said mm-hmm. she was Russian. That culture is very not emotionally driven. They're very much poker face. Yeah. And you suck it up and keep it moving as well. Yeah. So you also have to understand that that, <clears throat> excuse me, that's her world as well. So, uh, so how do you communicate with somebody who who's coming from a, 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 a I mean, from a culture where emotions aren't even. It's not even a thing. Like it, it's nowhere. It's not in movies. It's not in a household. Yeah. It's it's nowhere. Uh, <laughs> is that is that where painting the pictures and 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 yeah, uh, that's where that's right. where sensory language comes right. in, and that's gotcha. where empathy comes in. You know, empathy. You may not. You know. Do you know what being betrayed feels like? Do you know what pain feels like? I'm sure she has those. You know, even though she may not uh, display them, she knows what it feels like inwardly. Um, and just appealing to that place and meeting, finding that touch point and, and finding that connection within that space. Uh, man, we covered so much, brother. Is there, is there anything from your book, the Sir Thrival Handbook, that we, we haven't talked about, anything from your experiences that you, you think would be beneficial for uh, the listeners out there, especially the men who are struggling with mental health issues or suicidality? 
Um, I think we co- covered a, a lot of it. I, I guess my, my the thing that I want men to know is that you have the right to be human. You have the right to be whole, and you have the right to thrive. And and what I mean by whole is not a, a life of perfection, but meaning that the things that once mastered you, you now know how to master them. And that's my definition of being whole. Wow. Thank you, brother. And then uh, I asked this question of everybody who uh, does the podcast, because I always imagine there's one person out there who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Mm-hmm. Be- before you kill yourself, what would you say to them? <sighs> I would say to them that there is another side to this, that the emotion, that the overwhelming emotion that you're experiencing right now will subside. Um, there's another side to this. And if you could just hold on for one more day, you may be surprised at what awaits you. Brother, thank you so much for being on a podcast. This is amazing. Uh, plug all your things. Where can people get the book? Where can people work with you? Uh, yes. Um, so Thrival Mode, you can get my book, Thrival Mode, also thrivalmode.com or amazon.com. And um, you can follow me at Purvis Taylor on Instagram and Purvis Taylor on Twitter and Purvis Taylor on Facebook. Thank you, Purvis Taylor. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you going to see a coach or a therapist, uh, calling the 1-800-SUICIDE number. Uh, It's you, but you have to take that first step. You have to ask for help. Uh, It it could save your life, literally. Uh, You go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Go to survivalmode.com to get the book, to work with, uh, um, God damn it, my Purvis Taylor. I want to say Parvis. I was like, it's not Parvis. Purvis, Purvis Taylor. And uh, let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Purvis. I appreciate you, brother.